All right, good morning. Welcome to the Taylor household. Thank you, Taylors. Um, we appreciate the Taylor's hospitality. This is great. It's so cool to be able to be outside and to be able to be with each other. I've been outside for a while now. Um, I was talking with Jenny like the first, we had a camping trip as a church and a lot of us just got back or are still sort of camping, I guess, at the moment. But um, it's funny how like for the first 24 hours, you're like, uh, you're just like, man, it's really, it's really hot and I had trouble sleeping the first night. And, and then like the next, after the second day though, you're, you've totally accepted everything. You're just, it's all fine. Um, it's just like, I'm sitting like two feet from the fire last night. Just like, that's just the way it is. You know, Go into your, it's just, there's bugs on me, whatever. That's the way it goes. You know, it's just how like when it first happens, you're like, ew. And then you're like, Hey, what's up, buddy? You know, um, welcome. Uh, but, uh, it was great to be able to go camping, man. We had so much fun. We went to the lake. Uh, we had a baptism. Yelena Riggs got baptized, which was awesome. Um, uh, so that was incredible. Uh, we got to spend so much time. It was great to be able to hang out with the teens there on the lake and uh, play King of the Mountain on that big inflatable thing. My, my favorite, yeah, my, my favorite moment was when Miles Sawyer pushed off Seth to become King of the Mountain. That was cool. It, it was like David and Goliath, man. It was awesome. Seth just flew off the edge there. Miles was King of the Mountain. It was pretty fun. So turning your Bibles over to Genesis 32. Just a short lesson here this morning. Then we'll take communion together um, here outside in God's creation. Um, and, uh, and we'll be done. We'll be done a little bit early today. Um, so we can have a great time to fellowship. Uh, so Genesis chapter 32. And I'd actually like a little bit of help uh, reading maybe from uh, from some of the teens. That'd be great. Um, uh, and so Genesis 32, I'm going to start it off and then I'm, maybe I'll hand it off here. Um, and we'll get some some help with the reading. But just to kind of set the stage in Genesis, we're still we're still talking about Jacob. Uh, Jacob uh, is a twin, right? He's born to Isaac and Rebekah. Uh, he comes out holding on to his brother's heel, and then uh, Jacob is a trickster. He is uh, he's really wily. He's crafty. He's smart, um, and so he always wants to get first place. He always wants to win. So he comes out, he realizes, okay, I can outsmart my brother. So he outsmarts his brother to get, to steal the birthright. Then he outsmarts his dad to get the blessing. Then he, he, he has to run away because Esau, when you steal your brother's birthright, it turns out your brother's not so happy. So Esau wants to kill Jacob. Jacob runs away. He's got nothing but the shirt on his back. And remember, God appears to him in a vision and says, Jacob, I'm with you. So Jacob feels, all right, amen, God's with me, okay. Goes into a new, a new country. There, his, his uncle Laban takes, takes him in. And Jacob learns a couple hard lessons. Is that uh, the world is a tough place. And he's been able to trick his way to the top, more or less. But then Laban tricks him a few times. Tricks him into marrying Leah before Rachel. You know, Jacob really loves Rachel. He wants to marry Rachel. Um, Laban takes advantage of him and tricks him. Uh, so Jacob is tricked a few times. But even still, Jacob, pretty much, by the time we get to Genesis 32, Jacob is doing really well. His flocks have doubled. There's some interesting stories we, we just to catch you guys up, we didn't have a chance to read all of them, but Jacob's family is not necessarily the most righteous. Uh, he's married two women, which he, he probably shouldn't do. Not only is he married two women, he's married two sisters. Not only is he married two sisters, but he's married two sisters, one of which obviously has been compared to her beautiful sister her whole life. So there's a lot of strife. So Rachel, uh, Leah has kids. Rachel struggles to have kids. So then Rachel finds out that mandrakes, I guess, are like a fertility helper. So she... So Leah has mandrakes, and so 
Rachel has to buy these mandrakes from Leah so that she can maybe have a kid. So she has kids. And then there's all this lying and deceiving and scheming in the family to try to, everyone's trying to get some uh, security. The women want to have kids so that Jacob can love them. Jacob wants to make more money. Jacob's whole life is really about pursuing these things that he thinks will make him happy. If I have the birthright, I'll be okay. If I have the blessing, I'll be okay. Now it's all about, if I have a Rachel, I'll be okay. Well, he marries Rachel. Guess what? He's not satisfied. So he has to make more money. So he has these flocks. And so he tricks Laban into getting his flocks doubled. He basically has a massive amount of animals, which back then was money. So he's, he's very wealthy and he decides to leave. They leave uh, Padam Aram. Uh, he leaves uh, while, while Laban goes out to shear the sheep. Jacob's like, come on, let's get out of here. So he leaves to go back home. Now, Jacob's going back home. Who's back home? Esau. Esau. So it's an interesting decision for Jacob to go back home. But he goes back home. He has all this money. He has his family. He's got all these sons. His wives have born for him. And he's going back. And we're going to see what happens here this week. And then Gabe Santos next week will close it out uh, uh, with how it actually turns out with Esau. So that's where we'll pick up in Genesis 32, 1. Hey, Kathy, can you read for us? Come on, Kathy. You, got, you, you mind standing up? You can give us just a few verses here. Does that sound all right? Come on, Kathy. Can you read Genesis 32, just 1 through 2? If you can't sound it out, just pretend like you know how it sounds, yeah. and we'll all believe you. <laughs> you can say it if you like. 32, 1 through 2. Jacob also went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, This is the camp of God. So he named the place Mahanaim. There you go. Beautiful. Awesome. Natalie, can you do verse 3 through 5? Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, this is what you are to say to my Lord Esau, to my Lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there until now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I'm sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. Amen. Where's Monique? Wonderful. She, she here? I'll see. Right oh, there she is. Can you, do, can you do six through eight? Okay, I have a different version. All right. Okay. After delivering the message, the messengers returned to Jacob and reported, We met your brother Esau, and he is already on his way to meet you with an army of 400 men. Jacob was terrified at this news. He divided his household along the flock. He divided his household along with the flocks and herds and camels into two groups. He thought if Esau meets one group and attacks it, perhaps the other group can escape. Beautiful. Hey, Zion, can you do 9 through 12? Come on, Zion. Come on, Zion. Come on, Zion. Then Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your family, and I will deal well with you. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth Awesome. I'll pick up in 13. 
He spent the night there, and from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, and 10 male donkeys. Wow, that's a lot. Verse 16, he put them in the care of his servants, each herd by itself, and said to his servants, go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. He instructed the one in the lead, when my brother Esau meets you and asks, Why do, who do you belong to and where are you going? And who owns all these animals in front of you? Then you are to say, they belong to your servant, Jacob. They are a gift sent to my Lord Esau and he is coming behind us. He also instructed the second and the third and all the others who followed with the herds said, you are to say the same thing when Esau meets you. And be sure to say your servant, Jacob, don't say your brother, say your servant, Jacob, is coming behind us. For he thought, I will pacify him with these gifts I am sending on ahead. Later, when I see him, perhaps he'll receive me. So Jacob's gift went on ahead of him, but he spent the night in the camp. So Jacob is going to deal with this problem like he deals with all other problems. He's going to scheme. He's going to plan. He's going to fix it. And like a lot of rich people, he thinks if I throw enough money at the problem, it'll go away. And so he goes back to his house, goes back home. He goes, okay, Esau, maybe he'll receive me. He hears Esau is coming. Oh, by the way, he's bringing 400 men. That doesn't help Jacob because that's one of two possibilities. Either that's going to be like a host of like welcome or it's an army that's going to kill me. And 400 men is, is an army. So Jacob is insecure. He's fearful. He's nervous. And he has to come up with something to do. So he comes up with these three herds, right? All right. Basically, go ahead of him so when Esau bumps into you, you know, here's $50,000, just take it. By the way, it's from your servant, Jacob. Like, like he's, he's your servant, he's not your brother. And so hopefully I can pacify him with these gifts and then the problem will go away. Jacob also does something he's never done before in this, in his life. He prays for help. It's his first time that Jacob's ever prayed for help so far in his life, at least in Genesis, that we see. So we, that tells us that he's feeling a lot. He's feeling nervous. He's finally at least started turning to God and saying, God, I need your help. I don't think I can get out of this one on my own. And so Jacob has sent everyone ahead of him. I don't know why. Maybe he is. There's still a little deceiver in him. Like he's the last one. <laughs> it's like, go, even his wives. He's like, go ahead, family. And he prays, God, don't, I don't want my family to die. But then he, he's, in the, he's the very last person. I know. God, don't kill my wife and my kids. But go ahead, kids, family, go ahead. I'm going to hang out back here um, and I'm going to cover the rear, you know, but that's kind of what he's doing here. And so Jacob is still, it seems he's desperate. He wants help, but he's still very much selfish and he's still very much uh, concerned and thinks he can trick his way out of it. And he really, at the end of the day, just wants to save his own skin. Just like Abraham did when he offered up Sarah, right? Just like Isaac did, like this is a human thing. This is not just way back then. This is also in us. Yeah. And this next, this next passage is one of the most interesting in all of Scripture. Jacob is alone. He's just like we were last night, except we had all of each other. Jacob is camping alone. And someone's going to knock on his tent with something he wants to, an, an activity he wants to uh, do with Jacob here. Jacob wrestles with God in verse 22. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his female servants, and his two... Uh, female servants and 11 sons and crossed the ford of Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob's left alone. Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip 
so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. The man asked him, what's your name? Jacob, he said. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and you have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he said, that is none of your business. Why do you ask me my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip. Uh, I believe that's the sciatic nerve, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Mm. So what in the world just took place? Okay. And anything, there's no buildup. It's like Jacob camped. And he wrestled with a guy until daybreak. But if you've ever wrestled with anybody, I mean, usually about 30 seconds in, I'm pretty done. I'm pretty aghast. But they wrestle and they fight till daybreak. Who is this guy? And at first it seems like a man. And Jacob is like, okay, I'm wrestling a man. But then he realizes, okay, he just touched my hip and my socket's out of joint. This is no mere man. But Jacob seems to actually win the battle, win the wrestling match. The man wants to leave. Jacob says, no, 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 hold on. You got to bless me. Jacob's still obsessed with being blessed by people, right? Like, hold on, give me something here. What can I get out of this? And the man says, all right, what's your name? Now, that's a point of embarrassment for Jacob because his name means the usurper, the deceiver, the, in some ways, the cheater. And so for a lot of us, we go, oh, it's just your name. But names back then showed your character. And so here's this wrestling match with the angel of God, a lot of Christians believe that this is perhaps Jesus, right? The, the messenger of Christ in man form, the, the God in man form. They wrestle. We don't know who it is. And he goes, all right, give me something out of it. And then God, Jesus turns around, whoever this, the angel turns around and goes, who are you? And he gets right to Jacob's heart. And Jacob just says, Jacob, deceiver, right? This is who I am. He blesses him, doesn't tell him his name, and then he leaves. And so this story is an interesting one, and I think a lot of it has to do with our struggle today when we first come to Christ. Most of us, before we really become Christians, and I'm talking like make a decision to make Jesus Lord, to deny yourself, carry your cross, to, to have faith, to trust in God's grace, and to get baptized and to repent, the whole package, right? A lot of times we're just like Jacob, and we come to the equation thinking, Oh, Bible studies or, oh, church, I can do this. Or we think, oh, I, I can't become a Christian because I'm not, I'm not good enough. Or I'm not strong enough. Or I'm not pure enough. Or I'm not smart enough. You know, hey, buddy. Even Yelena, uh, Yelena in her, when she shared yesterday before her baptism, she goes, after the first Bible study, I was intimidated because I didn't know the scriptures. Yeah. I didn't want to study anymore because I, I didn't want to look like I didn't know the scriptures. You know, I think a lot of us come to, to, come to God that way. And a lot of us, even after conversion, we can still approach God that way. And there's something beautiful here in this passage because Jacob comes and he's this self-made man. And no one's really a self-made man, right? But he's this self-made man and he wrestles with God. And in this moment, God asks one question. Why would God ask him, what is your name? And God doesn't, I mean, it's interesting. He doesn't even, Jesus here, whoever this is, this angel doesn't even win the wrestling match. But he says, what is your name? And when we come to God, I think we think it's about human effort. It's about achievement. It's about what can I accomplish? 
And even when we, even now, as many of you are Christians, many of you have made the decision to live a life after Christ, to live a life in God. And we still tend to think this way. Yeah. Of, you know, recently I was talking to a brother about something, and I, you know, doesn't matter what it was, but I asked him a question, and he goes, well, I don't think I, I can do that. I'm not spiritual enough. And I didn't challenge that statement, but I, I thought, how often do we think like that? Mm -hmm. I'm not spiritual enough. Like, it's some kind of tank. Mm -hmm. Like, what, if you have quiet times this week, now you're spiritual enough? Like, then you can do this thing you want to do? Like, what do you mean you're not spiritual enough? But we think this way, and we think, lead, I can't lead. I'm not good enough. Mm -hmm. Quiet times, I, I'm not. And we think that way, right? We think in terms of achievement. And we go to God with that, and then we struggle uh, because we inevitably, like Jacob, either A, we fail, or maybe even worse, we succeed. And like Jacob, we just keep upping the ante. Jacob's got the wife he always wanted, not enough. He needs more money. He's got the money he always wanted, not enough. Now he wants to go back and take the promised land. My brother's, Esau's there. It's kind of crazy, but he goes back. And he thinks he can throw money at this situation. Because I'm Jacob. And here's this wrestling match. He's all alone. And God wants him to realize you cannot enter the kingdom of God until you take a look at yourself. You've got to take a look at who you are. You've got to look at, and that's why we have these Bible studies. I mean, it would be easy, I think, for a lot of people to say, hey, let's just baptize everybody without even talking to them. But no, we've got to, we've got to look at our hearts. What is your name? A lot of us, we have one or two core sins deep down. They all kind of come back to one or two things. Some of us are like, we just really want people to accept us. And everything kind of comes back to a people-pleasing sin. Or for me, it's, a, it's a, an arrogance or a selfishness. Like that's, that's my deep, most sins in my life come back to me only thinking of myself. It's why, it's why I struggle to be considerate. It's why I struggle to be a good husband. It's why I struggle, right? Because at the end of the day, I'm kind of thinking, it kind of comes back to Drew. That's my core sin. And when I studied the Bible, the men who sat down with me and studied the Bible helped me see the beginning of that. Now, it didn't get fixed, but I had to begin to see it. And then throughout my Christian walk, people, people have to keep reminding me, remember, Drew, what is your name? Remember who you are. But the beautiful thing about what Jesus does here is he doesn't just say, we got to recognize and you got to admit that you are not enough. But here, how about this? I'm going to give you a new name. Yeah. Oh, how cool is that? Yeah. And in the moment of Jacob's honesty of, he could, maybe he could have lied or said, what is your name? I'm the son of Abraham. No, 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 what is your name? Yeah. I'm the son of Isaac. No, 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 who are you? I'm, all right, all right, fine, I'm Jacob. I'm a deceiver, I'm nothing. I, I just cheat and steal to get everything. I'm nothing. Jesus goes, no, you're Israel. I give you a new name. Israel means to contend or to wrestle with God. That name becomes the name of a nation of people that exists to this day. Because it's not about being perfect. It's not about achievement. Jacob had to realize to enter the kingdom of heaven, you got to be like a little child. That's what Jesus says, right? If you're going to enter the kingdom, you got to be like one of these little ones. Well, what are these little ones like? They're vulnerable. They're open. They know they can't achieve it. You know, this word here for Israel means, uh, either means God strives or man strives with God. But the word strives is an important word. It means, it means to contend. That same word is used in Luke 13 when a man comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, are only a few people going to be saved? And Jesus goes, strive to enter the kingdom of heaven. Luke 13, 22. Strive to enter the kingdom of heaven because I tell you, many will try but will not be able to get in. Strive. 
contend. There's even a chance that when Jesus uses the word strive, that the guy listening actually thinks of this chapter, this verse in the Old Testament. Strive? That's Israel. That's man striving with God. Wrestling. And I think a lot of times our struggle in the faith is that we go backwards sometimes in our growth and we think, oh, this is not good. I'm going, it's been hard. But no, that's what it is to be a Christian. It's to struggle. You're actually growing if you're struggling. God's more concerned if you're if you're not aware of anything. Oh, I'm great. Things are great. Things are fine. Don't worry about me. Even sometimes when a lot of us have a, a strength of being servants, but we focus so much on serving others, we don't want to look at ourselves. Yeah. I'm fine. What about you? I want to help you. I'm, I'm fine. I'm okay. But God goes, no, no, no. You need to take a look at yourself. We got to be honest with ourselves. The beautiful thing about Jesus is he says, you got to strive to enter the kingdom of heaven. You got to contend. You got to wrestle. But I love that Jesus doesn't even win the wrestling match. It would have been easy for Jesus just to beat him up and say, you think you're strong? Look who's strong. Boom. Submit. I'm God. Right? That's how we would do it. But Jesus loses. And then he says, I see you. I know who you are, Jacob. And these things will never fulfill you. And that's the same thing with us today is Jesus didn't come to earth to beat us up and to make it to get a shotgun wedding and make you. All right. Say Jesus is Lord. Do it. He wants it to be your choice. And the sooner we're able to say our name to accept. I am a I am a sinful man. I am a sinful woman. I need help. That is all it takes to enter the kingdom of heaven. Because in there, Jesus goes, you don't have to be enough. You'll be enough in me. You'll find truth in me. It's not about achievement. And we have to, we, we have to, it's a, it's a really important reminder. And I know it sounds like a broken record. And I thought, man, what does the church struggle with? That what do we need to be reminded of constantly? And I think honestly, and it does, and I think sometimes we tune it out because of how common it is that we hear it. But I wonder how often we go to God in our really consistent, awesome, quiet times. It sounds like, oh, here goes the quiet time thing again. But I honestly think if we go to God consistently every day and we preach that gospel to ourselves, it is not about achievement today. Jesus has given me a new name. My identity is not how good Drew is. My identity is how God views me. And God views me as his son. No matter what happens today, I am grateful. I am thankful. If, if If I share my faith and it goes well, amen. If it doesn't go well, it doesn't matter. God still has my back. God is still here saying, boy, I'm with you. We're struggling together. It may be a rough week. It may be a rough year. It may be a rough marriage. It may be a rough high school. It may be a rough adolescence. It may be difficult, but you don't have to be perfect. I am with you. And I think if we hear that every morning and don't get overwhelmed, don't think, I don't have an hour. Amen. Pray on the way to work. Listen to the Bible. Take, take, have a Sabbath quiet time. Let your wife watch the kids. Ask me and Jenny, not everybody at once, but ask me and Jenny to watch the kids. Ask the campus to watch the kids. Ask the Yo Pros. Yo Pros, I think it's easy to think we don't have time. Yo Pros, you have time. Teens, you have time. Teens, go to the addiction workshop. There's a video game section for addiction. Go there. There's a social media section. Go there. I think we have to realize there are idols in our life. We are all in some way, maybe like Leah, holding God in one hand and an idol in the other. And as we close out this morning and take the bread and the juice, let's remember a God. Let's remember 
a savior that didn't come to earth to force us to love him or he gives us a room to make our own choices. But he wants us to remember that our identity, our truth, it does not come from our effort. And the beautiful thing about that is the sooner we accept that, the sooner we actually work harder. When your work doesn't matter for your identity, you actually work more. You actually evangelize more. You actually pray deeper. You actually forgive easier. That's the great paradox of Jesus. He came to earth in human form. He, considered, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he lowered himself to a servant and he was crucified and he was raised to the highest place. That is what it is to be a Christian. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all so that those who live for themselves, those Jacobs out there, will no longer live for themselves, but to live for him who died. As we take communion, let's focus on that. Assess your heart. If you don't feel like you're in a place to take communion because your heart is not in a good place, don't take communion. But if you take communion, celebrate. Look at your heart, confess to God, share with him your sin, but not in a guilty way, in a way of God, thank you. And if we need to change, let us change as soon as possible, knowing that we have a new name in Christ. Let's say a prayer and we'll take the bread and the juice.